All right, good morning. How are we doing today? All right, all right. Thank you. I heard over here doing good. So good to see you. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free Church. Beautiful, beautiful day out there and grateful to have you here at church with us. You know, if you weren't here last Sunday, well, I want to let you know something that we talked about. We talked about what does it look like to love our neighbor, and that begins kind of with getting to know our neighbor's names. And so we uh, gave this little block map out. Uh, our speaker, Dave Runyon, led us on this, and it's a magnet that you can put on the refrigerator. If you didn't get a chance to get one of these, we have enough for one per family out of the Sunday to everyday table. I've heard some people call this the map of shame. It's not intended to be that. It's the map of opportunity that uh, perhaps uh, God has put us in the same neighborhoods with some people around us that we really want to love. And that begins with kind of getting to know their names and moving from there. And so again, you can pick that out Sunday to Everyday Table. That was a great message last Sunday. It wasn't for me. It was from Dave Runyon. Great message last Sunday on love, the fruit of the spirit of love and what that looks like in our neighborhoods. So you might catch that online if you didn't get a chance to hear it yet. Let's pray, and we'll jump into this morning's message. Father, I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for this church, so grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to be together in this beautiful place. So we just talked a little bit about capital opportunity. We recognize, God, that we don't have such an amazing auditorium and beautiful lobby if it wasn't out for the generosity of the people in this church and other people that have gone before and have moved on to other places. And uh, we just thank you for that, Lord. We're grateful to be in this place and uh, thank you, Lord, so much for the generosity of this church. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing in this place. We come into church though, this morning with many things on our minds. Many of us are dealing with struggles and concerns, and uh, it's hard even to focus. But we'd ask, Lord, that you give us focus. Just take a couple moments right now. In the quietness of our hearts, you would prepare us to receive, as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, called gentleness. We make ourselves available to you. Amen. You know, at, at any given moment, the person sitting next to you is either as strong as an oak tree or as delicate as a tulip. At any given moment, you could be as strong as an oak tree or as delicate as a tulip. Isn't that right? We all have these bruises that we carry with us in life, usually right around here. And people push on them, don't they? I don't think they really mean to push on them, but they do. And we experience this pain as people push on our bruises, and usually the bruises have labels like, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough money. I'll never quite measure up to this family member. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not intelligent enough. And again, people push on them, oftentimes without meaning to. And we're fragile because of those bruises that we all experience. Maybe a classic example of this is when you look at a family photograph when you look at a family photograph, who do you look for first? Come on, it's not just me, is it? 
we look for ourselves first. We look at a family photograph. And I don't know about you, I look at that family photograph, and my wife and my kids, they may just be beautiful, might be the perfect photograph of them. But if my hair is out of place and I look a little bit pale, that one's going in the trash. And then, if, like, if somebody posts those on social media without our approval, oh man, all kinds of self consciousness. And we're fragile. Psychologists tell us routinely now that most humans need seven compliments to compensate for one critique. Wow. That we hear a critique and we hold, it on, we hold on to it for seven times longer than we do a word of encouragement. We're fragile beings who need to be handled gently. Unfortunately, the problem is that we tend to think of gentleness and the synonym meekness as weakness. And nobody wants to be weak. Isn't that right? Nobody we meet wants to be weak. And we frame gentleness, we frame meekness in our mind as if it's synonymous with weakness. It isn't. Men particularly, I would estimate that out of the nine fruit of the Spirit, we like this one least of all. Out of the top nine, this is probably my number ten. Okay, we, we don't really care for this one. We're taught not to be gentle. We're taught to be tough. In popular culture, if you have a movie starring Schwarzenegger, or a Transformer, or a superhero, a Marvel, or DC Comics, it'll probably make you $300 million. But if you have a movie that's starring that gentle old chap down the street, it's likely to land up on PBS. We just do not esteem this in our culture. And the church does a tremendous job at times of mimicking culture, doesn't it? Such that we see all kinds of ministries that elevate macho men and kind of diminish the gentlemen. It's unfortunate. Because in truth, gentleness, again, is not weakness. A good definition for gentleness would be this. It is bridled strength. Gentleness is bridled strength. It's, it's strength that's been brought into control. Strength under control of the Holy Spirit who is in us, who enables us to use that strength for good as opposed to for ill. There's a pseudo-gentleness and the word for pseudo or fake gentleness is timidity. But timidity is not the same thing as gentleness either. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, did he? Somebody say amen. God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but of power. Power. And give us a spirit of timidity, give us a spirit of power, of love, of sound mind, of self-discipline. That's the spirit that he gave to us when he gave us the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not timidity. So there's this fake gentleness. There's also a fake kind of strength that you see out there a lot, where you see the muscle-clad guy um, surrounded by leather riding a Harley. And he might be strong. He really might be strong. Or those might be externals that don't reflect strength of soul. Have you met that guy? You know what I'm talking about. There's some who have the strong externals, but they don't have strength of soul. Now, there's some who have both. 
I'm not saying that someone cannot have both, but there is a pseudo-strength that doesn't necessarily reflect a soul-level strength. But to have the physical, and I would say verbal strength, to do good, and then to restrain it, to bring it under control, to bridle it, that, my friends, is powerful. And that's gentleness. It's what we see in Jesus, the way of God toward us. He is gentle and humble in heart. We come to him when we find rest for our souls. He's the creator of the universe, and he came in humility. He is the lion, and he is the lamb. He's both of these. Jesus is both of these. I love this description of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. It says simply, A bruised reed he will not break. Oh man, that is so good. Envisioning a person who's like a bruised willow reed. And people would break that person. Our culture would break that person. But Jesus would bandage that person's wounds and heal them and build them back up again. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He will fan it back into flame. This is the character of God in Jesus Christ. I want to give you a portrait of this character of God. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. You find the Gospel of Luke after Matthew and Mark and the New Testament. If you get to John, you've gone just a little bit too far. Whether you open your phone or your Bible, Luke chapter 7, we'll start at verse 36. And once again, this is the character of God. We have to remind ourselves on a regular basis, if we want to know what God is like, we need not look any further than the person of Jesus. You look at Jesus in the Gospels, and that demonstrates to you what the character of God is like. He is the image of the invisible God. And here's a portrait of God in flesh from Luke 7, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, you remember the Pharisees were these religious teachers who held a lot of power in Israel. And they told people how to live, and they exercised a lot of authority, they had great knowledge, and Jesus regularly tumbled with them, didn't he? Okay? So, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner with him, what did Jesus do? He had dinner with him. Amazing. I mean, Jesus had dinner with adversaries and friends alike. He was just so, so different. He went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table for dinner. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Let me just pause there. It says she lived a sinful life. That's code language for what we would describe today. She was a woman of the night. When you hear that a woman of the night, that's saying she is what? She's a prostitute. To say today that someone is a woman of the night is to say she's a prostitute. Back in that day, to say she was a sinful woman is to call her a prostitute. And this woman, though, this prostitute, hears that Jesus has come into town. And she says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to go meet with him, even if it means going into this Pharisee's house, who no doubt would reject me, and barging into his house and sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's what she does. She comes in with this alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. 
Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. It's this beautiful act of vulnerability by this woman in which she pours the only thing that she has of value onto Jesus' feet. Now Jesus, of course, could have rejected her offering, but he chose a vulnerable route as well. As he says, even though you are a sinful woman who would be recognized as such, and even though other people might judge me because I'm allowing you to come close to me, I do allow you to come close to me, and I receive your offering. This beautiful act by Jesus of welcoming her close, and a beautiful act by this woman of anointing him with oil and offering worship to him. It makes me ask the question, why did she feel so at ease? Why did she feel so comfortable coming to Jesus and making this bold, vulnerable act of pouring the only thing that she had of value at his feet? I think she senses something in Jesus that he's able to help and he's willing to help. She sensed that she could be safe in his presence. I, I wonder, do you know the, this morning that a gentle spirit stimulates safety? Do you know that? A gentle spirit stimulates safety for those who are around us. And that's what this woman experienced. She recognized that Jesus was gentle and in his presence she could have safety. That a bruised reed he would not break. That he is gentle and lowly in heart. That he is humble and she could find rest for her soul in his presence. That his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that still today he will accept us as we come to him. Whatever we might bring to him, whether it be bruises or tattoos or skid marks or any kind of history, he will receive us because he's gentle and humble in spirit. This is the nature of our God. He's gentle. And to be in his presence stimulates safety. Now, conversely, we've all had the experience of being with someone who is harsh. And here's the big idea that you have to take with you today as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit called gentleness. A gentle spirit stimulates safety, but conversely, a harsh spirit stimulates what? It stimulates fear. When you're around someone who's harsh, it stimulates fear in you. You're not sure where to pick your spots. You're not sure if you can be safe well, with that person. Years ago, I read about an ex-Marine who would regularly write letters to other Marines who were found in harm's way during a couple wars in the Middle East, and he would always sign his letters for Marines and ex-Marines with these words, keep tough and tender. Mm, that's it. Keep tough and tender. Because toughness is a beautiful thing. Good masculine strength is a great thing, and we want to hold on to that. Absolutely. But who knows that toughness without tenderness is generally tragic? Do you know that? Almost always, toughness without tenderness you can anticipate to be tragic. What this woman experienced was toughness and tenderness such that she could find safety at the feet of Jesus. There's just something. There's just something very, very powerful about being in someone's home and knowing that you can kick back and relax right there. That someone welcomes you into their home and you can go to their porch 
and they give you a glass of cold lemonade and you just sit back and you drink it and you realize that you are safe in their presence. There's something about that friend that you have at work who you know you can go to when you're struggling at home or you're struggling at work and you wouldn't gossip to that person but you'd go to that person and you'd share some of your pain and you know that person is not going to judge you nor are they going to use your, your words against you but rather you are safe in their presence. There's something about a teacher. I'm sure that you've had a teacher, right? Who you knew you were safe with. You knew you could bring your stuff from home to that person. Or maybe you've had a professor that you disagreed with on some things, but that person didn't crush you in the midst of their disagreements. They invited you to keep thinking. They stimulated your thought, and you felt safe with them. I have a friend who's a professor at UNK, and his intellect is like way up here. And mine feels like way down here when I'm with him. And yet, he doesn't ever talk about himself. He doesn't talk about how much he knows. He doesn't brag about how much he knows about this research project or that research project. We converse, and he builds me up and helps me understand material that I don't understand, and there's a level of safety in his presence. So powerful. Conversely, we've had that experience with a parent or a boss or a coworker that no matter how hard you try, you're just not safe with that person, right? They have a harsh spirit to them, and that stimulates this fear such that we have this word for that person. When I'm around her, I just feel like I'm always walking on, on eggshells. You, you know that person. You have that person in your life. I've sometimes been that person. I've been a Christian for 22, 23 years, and I must admit it never really occurred to me to pray for gentleness. Until about two or three years ago, uh, I realized that when I'm under pressure, I tend to get more intense, and I tend to push a little bit harder. And fortunately, I have some loving people in my life, Susie, <laughs> who lovingly sometimes <laughs> point this out to me thank you kind of <laughs> thank you <laughs> who lovingly point this out to me and I realize you know I, I need to start praying for this I don't particularly esteem gentleness at the very top but I need to start praying for this because I guess that I think that when I'm asking people a bunch of questions and I'm under pressure I feel like I'm just trying to get to an answer but they feel like they're being drilled by a prosecutor. Which doesn't feel too warm and fuzzy, does it? And I think that I've made some progress in this area over the past couple years, but I realized a few weeks ago that I have more progress to make. Because I was up for a while drinking my coffee, and my dear son came to the breakfast nook to eat his breakfast, and of course I've asked his permission to share this story. I'd never share a story like this without asking my family's permission, but... Um, he sat down for his breakfast, and I started in to ask him a series of questions. Not mean questions, just, what are you looking forward to today? And do you have any tests today? And who are you looking forward to playing with? And what are you going to do at recess? And he was answering, yeah, no, uh-huh. And I'm trying to have this really great father-son moment at 7 a.m. 
And he's like, Dad, can I just wake up? And I said to him, show some respect when your dad talks to you. Stupid. And I walked out of the room. And as I walked out of the room, I noticed him wiping the edge of his eye. Went back into my bedroom, and fortunately we have something called the Holy Spirit that convicts us of some things. And I sat down, and I began to pray, and I just realized I need to go apologize to my son. I acted like the kid in that moment. Holy Spirit, would you give me the power right now to go apologize and to come in meekness and in gentleness and let him know that I just wanted to connect with him. And so I went and I apologized to him, and he's a gracious kid, so he forgave me. And then going to work, and, you know, I was still just burdened by it. It ruined the morning right before he goes to school. Going to work, and I just realized the first thing I got to do is write him a letter. To just let him know that behind the intensity is this desire just to connect with my boy. Just like you have with your kids, right? And that I'm proud of him and that I love him. And I'm so happy with him and he's a joy for me and all of that. And uh, would you please forgive me and I'll try to do better. Friends, the simple reality and the reason I share this with you is not to break down in front of you. <laughs> the reason I share this with you is uh, some of these fruit of the Spirit, all these fruit of the Spirit, the reality is some of them are harder for us than others are. And for some of you in this room, gentleness is going to be really, really difficult. And for others in this room, gentleness is really, really easy. If you're a type A personality like I am, gentleness is going to be really hard. But God can grow you in it. God can do the impossible. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we lean into Jesus. We walk with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, and he can change us beyond our best efforts. You ever taken the Enneagram test? Raise your hand if you have. Anyone know what your Enneagram number is? Okay, all the people under 30 just raise their hand. Okay. Uh, if you're a one or you're a three on the Enneagram, this is going to be really hard for you. But I want you to know you can grow in this. The Apostle Paul was probably a one on the Enneagram. He was a type A driver. But it's so interesting as I was doing study for this message, I noticed the number of times the Apostle Paul appeals to gentleness as he's reaching out to his church do you think of the Apostle Paul as gentle? Let me ask you that question. Most of us think of the Apostle Paul as bold, don't we? He was also gentle. No less than 11 times the Apostle Paul uses the word gentleness to describe the way he appeals to his church or appeals to mentees that he is discipling. One of my favorites and one that I've been memorizing again and meditating on every day for all the reasons that I just told you is 2 Corinthians 10.1, which you'll find in your verse cards that we've been memorizing, and you'll see up on the screen. By the gentleness and mercy of Christ, I appeal to you. Let's, let's say this one out loud together. Would you join me? By the gentleness and the mercy of Christ, I appeal to you. This is profound. As the Apostle Paul is going into persuasive mode, with his church in Corinth, he says, I appeal to you with bridled strength. I appeal to you with the mercy of Christ that treats people better than they deserve. So I want to appeal to you. Gentleness, my friends, is a priority for persuasiveness. Gentleness is a priority for persuasiveness. If you want to persuade people, you appeal to their hearts. And gentleness is 
part of the avenue to get there. Allow me to suggest with a few simple questions to stimulate ways that we can ask the Spirit of God for increased gentleness, possible applications for us. Three simple questions. Am I gentle as I speak of religion and politics? Ask yourself that question. Be it online or offline, am I gentle whenever I choose to enter into religious discussions or political discussions? Understanding full well that even in a room like this, we're going to have many, many disagreements, aren't we? We're even going to have some religious disagreements in this room. There are people in this room who are followers of Christ and those who are here just asking questions. There are people in here who are followers of Christ, but they disagree on any number of different issues. As we discuss those issues, are we gentle and are we respectful? I love the way 2 Timothy puts it as Paul is uh, describing some discipleship measures to his disciple Timothy. He says this, Have nothing to do with foolish or stupid arguments. Don't you love that? How pithy. Have nothing to do with foolish or stupid arguments. Why? Because they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome but must be kindly, must be gentle, must be able to gently instruct those who oppose him. A really great question for us is this. Whenever some controversial issue comes up, if I choose to enter into the conversation, am I doing so with gentleness and respect? Am I doing so by leading with listening? Am I doing so in a way that they would go away from the conversation feeling like I was loved by that person even if they disagreed with me? And at times, is this a stupid or foolish argument that I simply do not need to get into? That's a good thing to recognize that sometimes we, don't just, we just don't have the knowledge to engage some of the subjects that we choose to engage, be it online or with people. And so to say to someone, I, I don't know a lot about that, I'm not going to engage in this conversation, but if I engage, will I do so every time with gentleness and respect? Here's a second question. Am I gentle as I come to church? Am I gentle at church? I personally believe, especially in 2019, that one of the most beautiful things about the church is this. We get to be around people who are different than us. We get to be every single week in the church with people that we wouldn't necessarily choose as my people. People of different socioeconomic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different political persuasions. We get to be around different kinds of people. And amazingly, surprisingly, as we come together in this beautiful mystery, Jesus is the head over all of us, and we are actually brothers and sisters underneath the head who is Jesus. And so, am I gentle as I come to church and hang out with other people in these rows or downstairs in children's ministries? Do I go downstairs in children's ministries and I thank those who are serving my kids? Do I go to life group and I say, God, would you please lead me to someone in life group who's vulnerable right now that I might meet them at their place of need right now? Perhaps you come to church, and on Sunday morning, before you get to church, you extend your hands to God, and you say, God, is there someone that you want me to reach out today who's hurting, who has a bruise somewhere, that perhaps I could reach out to them and love them where they are, because I'm not going to church just to receive, I'm going to church to give. God, give me gentleness at church. The big, bold apostle Paul said it this way, as an apostle of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother 
caring for her children. Again, we don't think of the Apostle Paul that way, but this is how he came frequently, even to this church in Thessalonica, who was known kind of for their spiritual indifference, their spiritual laziness, like they were the kind of Christians who were unwilling to put anything into their relationship with God. And what Paul wanted to say to them was, wake up! He did it all for you! Wake up! But instead he said, I come to you in gentleness like a mother caring for her kids because I love you. Final question. Am I gentle at home? Am I gentle at home? Colossians 3 asks, puts it this way. Colossians 3 puts it this way. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Fathers, do not embitter your children lest they become discouraged. Wow, what a word that is. I know he could say mothers, love your husbands and do not be harsh with them. I know he could say wives, love your husbands and don't be harsh. I mean, he could say both of those, but he says specifically, I think, in part because many men struggle with this. Fathers, don't be harsh with your, your kids. Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives, but build them up in the love of the Lord. Look once more at Luke chapter 7. Simon sees all this, Simon the Pharisee, and he mutters under his breath, if this man was really a, prof a prophet, he would know that this is a, a prostitute who's at his feet. And he insults her, and he insults Jesus at the same time. As she's giving this offering, he looks down on her, and he looks down on Jesus. And Jesus has something to say about that. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman. Can you imagine this? He, he turns toward the woman who's at his feet, and he looks at her. And after looking at her, he, he turns toward Simon. And he says to Simon, do you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss as was the custom of the day when you entered someone's home. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, Simon, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, Simon, loves little. So he sees a man in front of him who wants to crush a woman at his feet. And he stands in between that man and the vulnerable tulip at his feet. And in his presence, she finds the safety of God, the love of God, and finds forgiveness for her sins, safety in the presence of Christ. You know, if we have only toughness, we'll drive people away. It won't be enough to make people feel safe if we're only tough because they're not sure 
when we'll fly off the handle and get angry with them. And if we have only tenderness, people won't know if they can be safe, if they can be stable with us. They don't know if, if we'll protect them, if we have the strength to be there for them in their time of need. But what we see in Jesus is our example to follow. Toughness and tenderness embodied together in one toward you and every person that you meet this week. Who is it that you might run into? Who is it that's sitting next to you who might be as delicate as a tulip right now? Would you close your eyes with me? Father, as we close our eyes for just a moment and take maybe 10, 15 seconds to reflect upon this passage and the power of the character of Christ, I just want to ask this question. My friends, where do you see yourself in this story? Is there something that Jesus wanted to tell you here? Is there something in Simon the Pharisee that he's wanting to speak to you? Is there something in this sinful woman who just feels like there's no place for her that he's wanting to tell you that there is a place for you? What's Jesus telling you in this story about his gentleness? about his love for you. Oh, Father, we thank you that you're not done speaking to us. We thank you that you are the good shepherd and we can hear your voice and you would lead us from passages like these to become what we currently are not. And so, Father, however you whisper to us, we ask, Lord, that you would seal that in our souls, that perhaps we would take that with us from today, and you would change us just a little bit, even this week. Through Christ we ask together. Amen.